0: Uh, Let's give uh, some other folks a few more minutes and then I'll get started. Good morning again, I just want to give uh, others folks uh, two more minutes for them to join, thank you. Okay, I'm going to get started. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Uh, uh, Today is August the 21st, 2022. Uh, Today's topic is, is uh, Mary Garland a Judicial White Privilegist? White Privilegist is uh, my invention. I'm following uh, one of the greatest Americans, Stephen Colbert, uh, who always comes up with uh, different words which are fascinating, such as uh, truthiness and uh, and a bunch of other words of course so uh today's topic is related to two things one is the fbi raid on this uh, african people socialist party chairman omali yeshitela and also the fbi raids on uh, president donald j trump and uh, i have uh, some authority to speak about this topic because uh my residence was also raided by the FBI in the day before the Thanksgiving in, 19, in, in 2019, 2019, which is about two, and, uh, two, and some, uh, two years or some months ago. So uh, I want to start with this. Uh, basically, you know, a lot of people may be thinking that I'm being too critical of white people. Uh, But the matter of fact is that I'm not. Because uh, I believe I just don't trust the government. And uh, I believe the, among all the races, uh, I will ask the question, who mistrust or distrust the government the most? I will say it's the white people. It's not the native um, uh, people. It's not the African-Americans. As a matter of fact, African-Americans was described by the whites as a very, you know, childish, domicile and all that. That's why for the longest time the white people will call a, a black person son, boy, things of that nature, right? And uh, it's also not Hispanics, not the Asians. All these racial minorities, they have a more trust in the government. The people who had the least trust in the government, actually it's the white people, specifically the Founding Fathers. The Founding Fathers call this a tyranny of the majority. The Founding Fathers are mostly from England, from Europe. They know how the government can be abusive, right? So they, they are very, very wary of oppressive government against its people. So judicial white privilege is just, you know, I've said, it's just a form of a white majoritarian democracy. It's a tyrannic abuse of a judicial power against racial minorities. So so today's episode, I'm going to break it down into the following segment. The first one will be the introduction. And uh, uh, you know, I want to elaborate a little bit more about what the founding fathers did, because they mistrust government so much. The second segment, I'm going to uh, compare case notes, meaning I want to compare from what I learned, not very diligently. I just you know overheard things about the Trump, uh, the FBI raid on Trump, and uh, the FBI raid on Chairman Yashitella. Okay, I'm going to compare notes among three cases. The Trump's case, Chairman Yoshida Teller's case, and my case. In the third segment, I'm going to talk about the mutual political needs of Joe Biden and Mary Garland. Remember, Mary Garland was probably the longest serving uh, judge. One of the longest serving judge. He he was the chief judge of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeal. The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeal is literally the second highest court of this country, only below the U.S. Supreme Court. The D.C. Circuit actually is regarded as a higher court compared to other circuit courts. In the fourth second, I'm going to talk about how DOJ becomes the political arms of the White House. It's not particularly unique just for Joe Biden's administration. It has been the case for many, many administrations, and then I'm going to conclude by reminding everyone, you know you know we we do have hope because historically we have good judges, and I don't want to be too critical. I want to showcase their deeds, just briefly, uh, three exemplary judges, okay, so I'm going to get started. With the inter- introduction. So this show, the judicial white privilege, the people's history, history of uh, American jurisprudence, it's all about white majoritarian democracy. Yes, it is a democracy. The founding fathers figured it out. They fear so much about the, the government. They don't trust the government at all. Okay and uh, and 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 that's why I think what I'm talking about is not that far off from what the founding fathers is talking about. The only difference is, is that the founding fathers have their limitations; they have not considered racial minorities as a part of the democracy they have envisioned. That's why it's totally legit for me to call the American democracy is a white majoritarian democracy, and it is maintained mainly by the judicial white privilege, as all my previous episodes have demonstrated. So, while the specific phrase, quote, tyranny of the majority, unquote, is frequently attributed to various founding fathers of the United States, only John Adams is known to have used it arguing against government by a single unicameral Elected body. Now, I learned a new word two days ago, unicameral, U N I C A M E R A L, meaning a single body legislature. So, the US government, the founding father has set up, is extremely unique, which I'm going to run down real quickly. It has both a state government and a federal government to check and balance each other. That's first. That's how the Founding Father set it up. You know, you heard about state rights and all that. There's a lot of stuff in the Constitution. The Founding Father actually limits the federal powers and give a state and its people the power. The sovereign power belongs to the state and its people. Right? I and mean, not to sidetrack too much, as the Dobbs decision actually is a, one of the rationale behind the recent Dobbs decision is based on that belief that the abortion issue needs to be returned back to the state, which I disagree, but it's a separate matter. The second major thing the founding father did is the three branches of each state and federal government. So in the state government, you have three branches. Each branch check on each other, check and balance. In the federal government, the same thing. So instantly you have a sixth. Because so two multiplied by three, you have a six government entities as a part of the American government, right? Going back to John Adams' word, by uh, you know, government by a single unicameral elected body, you will notice that in the lawmaking branch, the legislative branch of the government, there are actually two chambers. Right in the state it's the same thing in the federal government it's the same thing. You have a congress, you have a Senate, you have a house, you have a Senate. Why? Because the Senate usually is there to make sure the lower house is not going ballistic you know to prevent demagoguery, no matter want to call it right so in the legislative branch, there were two houses two two branches uh two 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 sections. To, to make a law, you have to go through both. Right? By doing that, you already get it very very, very multiplied. And the fourth is that the people's ownership of firearms. The founding fathers is very wary of the tyranny of the majority. They literally said, yes, the people should have firearms. You know. In all the gun debate, I don't even want to use called the so-called hunting excuses the ownership of firearms has a very specific reason. I actually believe it is against the government, in case the government is out of control. And today, most Americans would would be willing to believe that our government is out of control. So this American democracy, even though it is a white majoritarian democracy, is deliberately made to be uh, adversarial and inefficient. Just, you know, imagine just doing one thing, try to do one social policy, you have to go through both state and federal government because the federal government may intervene saying the state cannot do that and vice versa. You have uh, three branches of government in each state and each federal government. They check with each other, When you make laws, you have two chambers, bounce back and forth. This is extremely inefficient. That's intended to be inefficient. Because the white people don't trust the white people from the very beginning in this country. Right? As a matter of fact, the use of firearms, in my opinion, is what the founding fathers laid out is a citizen's last defense of their rights and the privilege when all fails. Okay, I don't want to go back to those hunting excuses, whether you can have what kind of weapons. So that's the introduction. So I want to emphasize that the people who don't trust the government the most are white people, not the black people, not the Chinese, not the Hispanics not the Native Americans. So now I'm going to go to the second segment, comparing case notes. Because in my prior episode, I have said, I cannot believe Mary Garland can be this stupid or this arrogant or this political to actually conduct, to approve, as he has admitted, he personally approved the rape of Trump residents. I cannot believe he's so The only explanation I have is that he has a clear political agenda because uh, to charge a departing president for espionage offenses, espionage, okay, not sexual assault, not a fraud, not inciting violence in D.C., accusing him of spying for a foreign enemy state, that is a very, very bizarre and far-reached allegation. So I'm going to compare case notes. First when the Chairman Yashtela of Af- the African People's Socialist Party. His house was raided, or his office, or his, uh, whatever his organization's location. He has said, based on my reading of the news, that he has never See a search warrant. I know why, because he's black. I know, as far as I know, because when I was searched, when the FBI agents have completed whatever they have to do, which takes about uh, three hours, they at least left me a copy of what they call an attachment and also a copy of the list of properties that they, they take away. They took away from me in that first attachment, there is one important detail that is under what which federal statutes they came to my house That's the first thing I looked up. I googled it almost like immediately the minute the FBI left, because that is the law under which the government say you they have probable cause that you have uh, violated that federal statute. So for chairman Yashitella who said she he has never saw a search warrant that's a little bit concerning because at least he should be told what federal statutes he or his organization have violated because that's the courtesy I have received and I'm sure that that also is the exact courtesy copy of what Trump has received. Now, remember, there's a difference between me and the Chairman Yoshida as compared to Trump, because as you know, when the before the Trump residence was searched, his lawyer is already notified. They know they're coming. Trump knows they're coming. I don't know. The rate of my residence is a 530-ish. That's similar what they did to that guy, Jeffrey Clark, I believe, of the DOJ official who probably planned the insurrection or whatever. Same thing with uh, uh, this Chairman Yashida. There's no advance warning. They just show up. And it's uh, far worse what happened to this African People's Socialist Party because uh, it was alleged that the FBI actually used uh, a stump grenade, which is a Pretty, pretty violent, in my opinion. Okay. I know the Trump camp complained that the FBI brought in machine guns outside his residence. Yeah, I think it's a little bit over the top, also. It's called the militarization of domestic law enforcement. But they did the same thing with this African people's. Socialist Party. Remember, all this is all of this is approved by no other than Mary Garland, who is a who was a judge. Okay, so, 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 so from what I can tell, Chairman Yashitella is definitely considered a, a so-called unindicted co-conspirator because. Uh, what happened is that the federal government filed a charge document against a Russian who is currently in Russia about him being spreading disagreement in America among different groups on Facebook social media. Therefore, somehow, somehow there is a there there's, there's a crime involved. And the chairman yashida Yashitala is considered to be affiliated with this Russian so So let me remind everyone that even today in National Archive the the, the entity the federal entity complained about Donald Trump, they still kept a sealed audio tape of. A, the FBI, on a motel or hotel room where Martin Luther King was staying. In that audio tape, based on the journalists who have listened to the tape, there's a sexual assault was going on, even though MLK was not the perpetrator, but he was heard encouraging the assailant. This is sometime, this is recorded back in the in the 60s. It's still under seal. And guess why this kind of uh surveillance can be placed on MLK? Because J. Edgar Hoover suspect that MLK is, uh, is influenced by communists, a, a- communist. So it's called the guilt or probable cause by mere association. Okay? So 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 that's very troubling because we actually is going back. The FBI, by the way, as you probably know, if you may not, if you don't know, I'll let you know. The name of the FBI building in Washington, DC is called the J. Edgar Hoover Building. J. Edgar Hoover, in my opinion, is the most famous cross-dresser of a justice. Not the cross-dresser of a sexual nature, cross-dresser of a justice. We, we actually use his name to name the headquarters of the FBI. Right, so that's with uh, Chairman Yashitala. I'll tell you a little bit about my, uh, my situation real quick. Because my experience is not that important. Basically, the Trump organization, uh, the, the Trump administration come up with this uh, so-called China initiative, right? It is a counterintelligence operation, it is a counterintelligence program, just like the co intel of Edgar Hoover. What basically saying you're just saying the Chinese government is uh, having a espionage campaign, both for the defense industry, on the national security level, also the economic espionage level. One is called the EA Espionage Act. The other one is called the EEA, Economic Espionage Act. They even come out say 80% of Americans' personal data is at the hands of the Chinese communists. Just think about it this way. J. Edgar Hoover once said there's a 30 million communists in America, that's what he said. Has anyone verified J. Edgar Hoover's claim? Nobody, because it's a national security matter. Nobody is going to question this national security state, the deep state. Because you, if you ever question this national security state, you will be criticized by the mainstream media and the government that you are a traitor, you are disloyal to America. Same thing here. When the Trump organization uh, Trump administration claimed that eighty percent of Americans personal data is at the hands of Chinese communists, who author who who authenticate that claim? Who who are the fact checkers? Who who what organization will fact check the, the deep state? The intelligence community? Nobody. Right? So so I I was I will be accused of one is that I have stolen some healthcare data for the China for China first, but the the I have two statutes. The other one is a, is a, is a ridiculous, is that I I, w- I was also accused of a hacking government systems. But in the search affidavit, affidavit in support of the search order. There's no mentioning which governance system I was hacking. Okay? So that's enough about me. Now let's come to Trump. The Trump situation is similar to mine and similar to Mr. Yashitella. You know, it's, 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 it's a total karma. It's a total chicken come home to the roost to Trump. Is that he was always being suspected of being a Russian asset. Right? Because uh, the national, the deep state has always said the 2016 election is influenced by the Russians. And who is the winner of that election? Trump. Therefore, the logic by the deep, deep state is that Trump is possibly a Russian asset. So the recent search of his residence on this espionage charge is just a continuation. It's just a more escalated escalated version of that, meaning that he literally is uh, spying for Russia. The Espionage Act offenses is literally saying the defendant is stealing national defense secret, nuclear secret. for an enemy state that we are at war with. In other words, Trump literally can be executed if he really was spying for Russia or China or, or any other enemy state, right? It's a far more, far more serious charge. And I cannot believe Mary Garland actually personally approved the espionage Act offenses on that search warrant. He is an F- judge, pretty high up judge. So as a common person, just think about it. I don't know how many spy stories you have read, real or fake, fiction or non-fiction. How much does it cost for Russia or China or another country to bribe a billionaire to be their spy? Because, you know, there's a payoff. There's always a financial payoff. You look up all the convicted spies in, in America. You know, we don't need to go anywhere What's the highest payout to an American spy for Russia or China? How much money they got? Think about it. Is it $200,000? I'll tell you, from what I read, my reading is pretty limited. The highest payout I have heard about is $250,000. Because this guy, I think his name is Hansen. Last name H-A-N-S-E-N. I can't be wrong. $250,000. So you are a head of the Russian spy agency, FSB or whatever it is, or the Chinese spy agency. And you are thinking, hey, I really think I can bribe Trump to be our spy. Let's get a financial budget, how much payout we need to get. Take a guess how much money he had to come up with. Isn't that true? Trump actually let go his presidential salary of 400000 a year to some charity or whatever. Why do you want to be a spy? Just ask any spy. It's two, two, two possibilities. One of, could be one of them, both of them. For financial reasons or for political reasons? So financially, is Trump is so economically deprived that he need to get $250,000 from Russia to steal some nuclear secret? Apparently, Merrick Garland does not know that. Mary Garland said, you think it's possible. It will be another reason it's political, right? I think uh, that famous spy who did uh, give a nuclear secret to to the Soviet Union, I think it's Rosenberg, the couple, uh, you know, the couple whose name's Rosenberg. They literally is giving out those. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's for the political reasons because they feel bad about the USA having the only country that has the atomic bomb. So are we saying Trump maybe because of his failed re-election bid? In 2020, he intends to fly his Trump airplane to Russia, a defect to Russia. And while he's doing that, he's going to carry some nuclear secret with him. That is just beyond the stupidest imagination, the stupidest wet dream of Mary Garland. Right? So with that, I'm going to talk about the unsealing of the affidavit. Everything I just talked about, of a Trump being accused of being a spy for an enemy state. How the court can read this and believe in that? You have to put some serious words in your sworn affidavit. So now I'm going to talk a little bit, again, comparing notes, my experience. Uh, Upon reading the two federal statutes by which the FBI searched my residence, I immediately asked the court to ensue the sworn affidavit by the FBI in obtaining the search warrant. My point is simple. I'm pretty sure I did not violate any of these two federal statutes. Okay, I already know. So they searched my house the day before Thanksgiving, twenty nineteen, I believe I immediately filed a motion to say please unseal the search word and the affidavit in support of that. The court denied me. And like the, the 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 judge in Florida. The judge in Florida actually asked the DOJ to read that and unseal. Of of course, that black person, uh, Chairman Yashitala, well, I don't know where his case is going. He's completely you know caught. In a in a, in a in a in a in a complete surprise, for for lack of better expression, he does not even know what under what federal statutes he was searched. In my story, actually, you know, getting funny is that when uh, about eight months later, no, actually ten months later, in October 2020, I learned that actually the FBI filed another search warrant of my. Google account information. So that's when where I go to the court again, saying this guy did not find anything criminal from hundred twenty-five pieces of electronic evidence they seized they seized from my house. They cannot find anything that I, anything wrong I did. So now they are looking for my. Google account information. So I asked the court, now can I get the first search warrant and the affidavit in support of the search first search warrant and sealed? Guess what? Like I always said, I'm you know, this show is, is all about the judicial white privilege. The court actually being the the instigator of a racial oppression. The court actually denied me once again. And guess who comes to the rescue? The DOJ. But this time, actually, it's the federal prosecutor in charge of my case. He's saying, okay, we're not going to object. Unsealing of the affidavit in search of Peter's residence. Not the court. The justice does not come from the court. It's actually from the DOJ saying, well, we're going to do that. So we can think about what happened to Trump. Because uh, whoever accusing him of being a spy of the enemy is making up some serious, serious musical drama. Right? And that's why Mary Garland's DOJ has said, They do not want to do that. And lastly, I want to talk about is that in all three cases, Chairman Yashitala's cases, Donald Trump's cases on the espionage area, and in my cases, these people, the FBI agent, or whoever they talk to, these people are not called witnesses. Because in all three cases, the FBI and the DOJ is conducting a a so-called counterintelligence operation. So there is a very good book. It's called uh, The uh, Enemies, The History of FBI. I read that book. I found it to be very educational. In that book, it says the FBI actually is not necessarily a law enforcement. The FBI actually has been a spy agency. There's a difference between law enforcement agency and a spy agency. A law enforcement agency usually is a reactive entity, meaning a murder has to happen, a sexual assault has to happen, a property crime has to happen, and then the law enforcement will arrive and then investigate and interview the witnesses. A spy agency is like a, 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 a war, an agency at war. The people who is working with the spy agency, for example, the Christopher Steele, the famous Steele dossier, of the Russia investigation, these people, whoever reported me to the FBI, these are not called the witnesses; they are called the counterintelligence assets. A counterintelligence assets can lie to whatever extent if you like. They bear no legal consequences. So whoever lied, being the FBI agent or the so-called counterintelligence assets, said about Donald Trump being a spy stealing a nuclear secret, that person's identity can be hidden forever. So just remember what I said about the MLK tapes in the National Archives still under sale, done by the Edgar Hoover's FBI that particular material is still under seal. We do not know those so-called the witnesses for J. Edgar Hoover, FBI, okay? The second thing about these three cases is this, the FISA, I think it's called the Foreign uh, Intelligence and Surveillance Act. If you are being investigated by the FBI, by their counterintelligence operations. Again, it's not a law enforcement. You are being treated as a comp- enemy combatant of another country. Okay, so in Chairman Yashi Teller's case, he is considered an unindicted co-conspirator of a Russian who has already been indicted by the DOJ. In my case, I will be considered a at least an economic spy for the Chinese communists. And in Trump's case, he will be considered a spy for an enemy state for America's nuclear secret. So, in all three cases, any person, the suspect themselves, including me, Trump, and the chairman, Yati Shala, and our, anyone who communicate with us, we are subject to Pfizer surveillance. As we know, Pfizer court approved pretty much 90.9% of all the application for surveillance. So that's the segment I want to compare the the, the notes of these three cases. And next, I'm going to talk about the, the mutual political needs of Joe Biden and Mary Garland. You know, as I always said, a judicial white privileges. It takes a lot, a lot of a qualification, a lot of education, prestigious education and background to be considered a white a judicial white privileges. You have to be privileged first, and most likely you have to be white. Okay, Mary Garland fits those criteria. You know. In one of the prior episodes I talked about this uh, University of Pennsylvania, law school professor Amy Wax. You know, Amy Wax is a very accomplished lawyer and a very accomplished law professor, but she is a judicial white right privilegist. Mary Garland, you know, attended uh, Harvard University for his uh, law degrees. He also has been a federal prosecutor, just like uh, Amy Wax, before he was named to be the federal judge by President Clinton in 1997, and he has been serving as the chief judge of the D.C. Circuit Court since 2013. Okay, the sad, you know, here comes the political part. You know, you are being the chief judge sitting in the second highest court. You have a lifetime appointment, second only, you know, you are prestigious second only to the U.S. Supreme Court. Why Mary Garland would, you know, take this nomination to be the DOJ's head? In my opinion, from my research, I think Mary Garland has some political and personal bitterness towards the GOP and the Trump. For his aborted nomination to the U.S. Supreme Court, I don't blame him per se. I think Mary Garland felt personally insulted, injured, because when President Obama nominated Garland to serve as the uh, to serve on the U.S. Supreme Court, due to the death of uh, Justice Anthony Scalia. The Republican Senate majority refused to hold a hearing or vote on his um, nomination. The unprecedented refusal to consider that his nomination was highly controversial. And just by the time, how long it lasted, it will give you some idea. His nomination lasted 293 days until it expired on January the 3rd, 2017. So as a result, the President Trump nominated Justice uh, Neil Gorsuch to be the replacement of Anthony Scalia. Will you be upset if you were Mary Garland? I'm pretty sure you will be. You know, from a personal level, would you be interested to seek some revenge? If given the opportunity, you probably do. But like I said always, that a good judge should have a complete disinterest, no interest, in the outcome of a case. That's how he or she can maintain his impartiality on the you know looking at the controversy in front of him or her he has to be or she has to be completely disengaged from the politics from his personal feelings right a good judge should just follow the law looking at the facts, follow the law saying this is how he or she sees it be impartial not just you know Maintain even a, not just the appearance of impartiality, but has to be rendered a decision according to the law with impartiality. So, mary Garland definitely is injured by GOP. I'm pretty sure he resented GOP, he resented Donald Trump. Because Trump is pretty active during his uh, 2016 election. Campaign about the U.S. Supreme Court, and the GOP is clearly follow candidate Trump's lead in that regard. So Trump, Garland has every reason to hate them. So President Joe Biden also, uh, President Joe Biden nominated Garland as the Attorney General in January 2021. Joe Biden has his own political and personal needs. Remember Joe Biden has been the Chairman of the Judiciary Committee for almost thirty some years. He's been on that committee for, for the, his entire political life. I'm pretty sure he is politically savvy, politically savvy enough to have a, a judicial halo, a ring of approval around his head when he announce and execute different federal policies, national policies, that being COVID, that being foreign policy, that being anything else. So Joe Biden do have, you know, as his own career shows that being associated with the Senate judicial judiciary committee, he would love to have a judicial bless- blessing in the law enforcement, in the executive branch of the government. Therefore, it's very natural for Joe Biden to ask for Mary Garland to come out, to come out of the bench from the second highest court and be his attorney general. Because Mary Garland is, is, is a heavyweight. You know, James Comey, as we all know, he's a lightweight. I don't think uh, I don't think Comey has been a prosecutor. I could be wrong, but Comey has never been a judge. That is that's for sure. Comey has never been a federal judge, or even an appeal court judge. Mary Garland is a heavyweight. Of course, Joe Biden also have a personal needs. That's his beloved son, Hunter Biden. Right. Hunter Biden. There's a saying, I'm pretty sure, in the Western civilization and in the Asian civilization it's called the uh, like father, like son. Right? So we have seen quite a bit of uh, how Hunter Biden as a human being really is. Does that bode well with Joe Biden? Probably not. It looked even worse in front of the law, by the book of the laws. When you talk about cocaine possession, prostitution, peddling inference, or most important tax evasion. Bad stuff. And so President Joe Biden can use some personal favor. So just remember this, time-wise, the FBI raided my residence in November of 2019. Probably a week or two weeks after this informant reported me to the FBI. The FBI was off in the same year, I believe it's in, in the summer, the FBI was offered Hunter Biden's laptop. By this Wilmington Delaware's laptop we pay a shop owner. The FBI has no interest of Hunter Biden's laptop. The FBI has all the interest in my computers. The FBI has all the interest with Donald Trump's computers probably, but not Hunter Biden's. Think of that way, you know. So the ta- Hunter Biden's tax evasions at least started in 2017, which is five years from today. There's no indictment. Why is that? I will give you another example. There's a famous Harvard University professor by the name of a Charles Lieber, L I B R E, I think, if I got it right. He was caught up in this China initiative. And he was convicted for tax evasion very quickly. Okay? Even Al Capone, the famous mob boss, cannot get away from tax evasion. Then how come the federal prosecutors have not pressed charges for that alone? Does Mary Garland know about this? Because Mary Garland is the one who claimed that he is going to enforce the law with no fear and no favor. I, I think I see a favor here. And that favor is for Joe Biden. So with that, I'm going to jump to the next segment. It's about DOJ becoming the political arm of the White House. Again, I want to emphasize that I don't mean just the Joe Biden's administration. I'm talking about there's so many other administrations where the DOJ actually is the is the protector of the White House when the White House actually is breaking the law. Okay? So I want to quickly, because I, this, today's episode is about Mary Garland, whether he is a judicial white privilegist or not. So I'm going to use Joe, uh, 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 Mary Garland's cases as example. There comes another one, the school board situation. So basically, there is a phenomenon called the CRT, critical race theory, and there's some schools are teaching those theories to young children, and some parents got upset. They went to the school board. They got, sometimes the argument got heated. So there's some, you know, quasi uh, threat of violence, whatever it is, right? We know about that. And guess what The uh, Garland did? I think Mary Garland sent some kind of a memo to the FBI offices to get involved. Remember, again, Mary Garland was a judge. He should be the most knowledgeable person about the Constitution about how the, how the government works and all that. The school board controversies, violent or not, which I don't think there's a lot of violence, out of this uh, critical race theory, has nothing to do with the federal government. It's a board meeting. If there's a violence, there's a local police to deal with any kind of violence. It can be a school board. It can be a board of a golf club. It can be a board meeting of a large organize, uh, uh, corporation. People get upset, have some heated argument. That happens. That's called a local crime, local violent crimes. You, you threaten some people, there's a local laws prohibiting that. It absolutely has nothing to do with the FBI. But why? Mary Garland, as a judge, will personally send a memo to all the FBI field offices and the office of the uh, DOJ federal prosecutor saying, pay attention to that. When legally, there's no legal basis for the federal law enforcement to get involved. Does the judge Mary Garland forgot about the laws now? Now he becomes attorney general. Now he is just serving the political needs of Joe Biden. I talked quite a bit about the about the, what's this guy, uh, 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 Hunter Biden, quite a bit earlier. So I will skip that. It's just another example. The DOJ is the protective arm of the White House. So, you know, I want to repeat the espionage investigation again on Trump. It, you know, I, I'm i not a fan of Trump either. Okay, just make, make sure. You know, Trump's FBI searched my residence. You know, I want the FBI paid for it. So I'm not a fan of Trump either. But this espionage investigation against Trump is almost like an indicator that now the January 6th, Investigation has become a weak case against Donald Trump, which I disagree. By the way, I thought that the January sixth, Trump has a role in it. There is a this, a minimum. Uh, you know, if you don't want to call it insurrection, it's definitely a disorderly conduct against a sacred branch of the government under the direction. Of the head of another branch of the government. Remember, the founding father has set up this three branches of the government. So if we one branch of the government, in this case the president, say let's go and attack the Congress so that they can so that they cannot certify a quote fraudulent unquote election. If Trump did that as a president of the United States, is that at least a common law offense? Of a disorderly conduct, I would say yes, and it happened in Washington D.C. I'm pretty sure you can find a jury to convict Trump of a disorderly conduct. That may not, you know, that conviction may not even impact Trump's uh, eligibility to run for the president in 2024, because uh, historically there is a convicted uh, person uh, running for president. I think he's a socialist party head of the Socialist Party or, so, or something. Okay, but the bottom line is this. For someone so experienced, so privileged in law, so well, well-educated, Harvard educated, and a judge, in D.C., by the way, and for Mary Garland, you can actually come up with this espionage, inve- probable cause against Trump, You gotta be kidding me. In fact, I'm pretty sure Mary Gollum is running the DOJ just like the political arm of the White House. So with that said, I'm gonna conclude a little bit. You know, I don't want to first of all you know, I want to you know just say that Mary Gollum is a political hack. I don't blame him too much for the reasons that I have as I have said. The Dobbs decision shows once again, the Dobbs decision by the U.S. Supreme Court shows once again, the Supreme Court justices are sometimes political hacks. They don't follow the law. They actually follow their religious belief or their political inclination instead. It's that. When the court is not following the law, when the court is not following the Constitution, it's chaos. That is what's happening today. So, if I, you know, as I define it, a judicial white privilege will knowingly abuse the law to advance his or her political or personal agenda. If that's a definition, yes. Mary Garland is a judicial white privilege. That's what a lot of judges did, especially white judges did. In the entire history of the United States, their ruling when a party is a racial minority is always in favor of the white party. Oh, my past episode has touched base on quite a number of cases, right? So, so that's pretty clear. So now I'm going to conclude with some hope because I do find there's uh, you know three good judges, in my opinion, what they did is just very encouraging. Very unfortunately, that these kind of judges are quiet type of judges. They don't have a loud mouth. They don't get on the CNN. They don't write papers for law review, Harvard Law Reviews and all that. They just quietly sit in their chamber, do their thing, right? So, you know, as far as I learned, you know, these three judges are pretty extraordinary. First one, the Mexican judge. If you remember, Trump, during his 2016 election, has a case in front of a judge whose name is Gonzalo Curiel. Q U R E Q U R I E L. I think it's about Trump University. But anyway, Trump is a defendant. Trump's been sued by many, many people. So this is one of his cases. So Trump openly Accused this, he called a Mexican judge as a biased judge because Trump said, "Because I Trump, I want to build a wall, and then Mexico is going to pay for it. Therefore, this so-called Mexican judge is going to be biased against him, Trump." But as it turns out, actually, this judge issued a ruling in favor of Donald Trump. That takes guts. You know, when a person who has a case in front of you and who has personally insulted you in the public, you still follow the law, looking at the facts, and you still make a decision that are just and impartial. That just takes a lot of, you know, courage. And the second the second judge I know of, oh, gee, I now I lost. Oh, this this judge, not a lot of people talk about him, which I think is a shame. Yeah, this judge is a Frank Johnson. Frank M. as in Mary Johnson, Jr. This uh Judge Johnson is in middle district of Alabama. I did not know this, is pretty interesting. Is that there is a an area in Alabama which is totally against the segregationists and totally against the mistreatment of African-Americans. And this judge, Frank M. Johnson, was the one who approved one of the marches by MLK. I think it's a Selma, March to Selma. And because, uh, as you can imagine, the local law enforcement, did try to put an injunction on these... uh, public protests organized by MLK and his people. But this federal judge back then in the 60s firmly uphold the First Amendment rights of these African-American activists and other uh, activists from, of other races to do those marches. He actually received repeated death threats because of his rulings. Not a lot of people talk about him. Which I think is extraordinary. And the, the, the third judge I want to talk about is uh, another federal judge. His name is uh, Murray Schwartz. Uh, sorry, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z. And he is a January 10th. 1978, UPI News Report, wilmington Delaware, January eighth. Federal Judge Murray Schwartz issued a desegregation plan today affecting three-quarters of Delaware's public school students, ordering Wilmington students bust to the suburbs for nine years and the white suburban pupils, pupils bust to the city for three years. Now you may not know this. This famous case called the Brown versus Board of Education. It's actually a combination of five different cases. And one of them is from Delaware. So back in the Brown versus Board of Education, the school desegregation is already a hot topic issue. And I think Brown versus Board of Education is in 1954. You add 22 years or 24 years later, in 1978, there's another desegregation order issued by a federal court to force integration. What happened in those 20 years? Now, just a little tease here. In my opinion, actually, board, uh, Brown versus Board education is not a great decision at all, which I'm going to have a separate episode. There has been an ongoing battle about school integration. About, you know, the, the major thing is the, the tremendous educational gaps between the African Americans versus the white populations, right? So, you literally, it's 24 years after the Brown versus Board of Education decision. A Delaware federal judge had to issue a forced integration order. And guess who? A famous person is against the school desegregation in 1978. Take a wildest guess. And the answer is very easy. That person who opposed Delaware's school desegregation is Joe Biden. So, with that said, I just want to conclude as my show is always want to talk about is this the laws in this country are tools for the politicians. Okay? It is a tool for this so called white majoritarian democracy. And I actually enjoy tremendously what's happening today, what the DOJ is doing, because I can see now, not only I personally have suffered the wrongs by these white privileges, now actually the white people, in fact, the most powerful white people, Donald J. Trump, is also suffering... From the white privilege so so that is uh what I want to talk about today, so I'm going to invite Gabrielle see whether he wanted to talk about had any comments or feedback. Okay, that's all right, Uh Gabrielle. Well, uh, thank you, Greg, and thank you, Brandy, for listening. And I appreciate your participation. And uh, hopefully I will see you again next week. All right, have a great rest of your Sunday. Goodbye.